characters' relationships in novels and screenplays with today's current technologies. Should you set it in the past, present, and what about books set in the future? Jen Brody, author of the 13th Continuum Trilogy, a young adult science fiction series, is here with us today to shed a little light on this topic. Her third novel comes out this July. She's also a writing teacher at Writing Pad in LA. Jen, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite topics. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to have you on because, you know, as you not only are sort of a screenwriter and novelist yourself, but you also are someone who teaches writing. So I feel like you'd have a lot of valuable information for listeners about how to write that dynamic between technology and relationships as we're progressing faster and faster into technology. Yeah, and for a long time I was also a film development executive and producer, so we had to deal with that a lot just in screenplay development and how to handle it. So, absolutely. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be an ever-evolving thing, something that's going very very fast because even within like the past 5 years, cell phones and apps and everything that those entail have changed so dramatically. Yeah, and it's always changing, you know, social media platforms become super popular and then they die really fast. So, you know, like Twitter is kind of dead now. Nobody, <laughs> no kids use Facebook. Their parents are on there, you know. So it's always changing really quickly and it's, it's a lot to keep up with. And it's something that can date your work very quickly if you're using the wrong technology. Do you feel like that is more prevalent in like a screenplay versus in a novel? No, I mean, I think, I mean, I mean, to an extent, you can say, hey, this book was time and place, this movie was time and place, so therefore the technology is accurate. But, you know, what if, like, you have teenagers using Facebook in your movie, like, that came out last year? It's going to make the film seem, like, super old. I actually just test screened a film for a producer friend who needed feedback, and that was one of my notes. I was like, you know, you have your teenager on Facebook. Like, they're not going to use that anymore. Yeah, that's, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's super interesting. I remember when I saw that movie with um, Demi Moore and Miley Cyrus. And I remember uh, she was using like instant messenger. And I was like, nobody instant messages. Or even like, I'll, I'll be watching movies and they'll like whip out a flip phone. And I'm like, oh, precious treasures. Yeah, you're like, oh, is that in the Smithsonian now? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, technology is something that doesn't matter if you're writing contemporary or historical or whatever. You've got to deal with it, future in particular, you know. And, like, I always advise my students, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, don't, I would err on the side of inventing something as opposed to um, putting something that might potentially date your um, work unless you're doing it on purpose, right? And that even applies to something like an iPhone, I usually try to um, use more generic terms, handheld device, right? He texted on our tablet, right? Because a tablet is more generic. Um, and I think we can all agree that there are always going to be kind of handheld communication devices. Forever. You know, yeah, thanks, yeah, Star Trek. Forever and ever. I mean, even if you have implants, even if you have interfaces, sure, there might be some of that. But still, there's going to be some ways that there's terminals, there's like, you know... So, like, yeah, I always try to err on the side of that. And, you know, in terms of social media, like, I'd say, like, invent something. Like, that's what I loved about Ready Player One. Have you guys read that? No. No, not yet. Oh, it's so flipping good. But, and it's, I think Spielberg's directing the film now. But it's, um, it kind of takes place in a future where there is a virtual reality platform and it's called Oasis. So it's like this thing that they invented. It's not anything that exists now. And everyone kind of lives in Oasis. And um, so, like, I think going that route is a smarter idea than kind of saying, like, the Facebook or the Macintosh. 
Because who knows where that will be in a couple years. But the flip side of that is like, you know, there is nostalgia. So it's like if it's too soon, like Facebook is too soon to be nostalgic over. But if you're setting something like period 80s, you're going to have nostalgia. Like Instant Messenger, if you did like an early 90s set thing, you'd be like, oh, remember when we did that? Remember when we logged into chat rooms with modems? Yeah, the di- that dial-up noise, I feel like, is a nostalgia factor for sure. And there's definitely kids nowadays who are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What's the dial-up oh, noise? Yeah. And you're like, oh my god. <laughs> oh, I have some like 16-year-old um, protege students in my adult writing class. I have two now. And I'm always like, wait, but you won't remember this thing. You were, you're, you're a baby. These, you know, I'm old. Like, I remember this. You grew up without it. You have no idea how hard it used to be. So yeah, I mean, and it, it is rapidly shifting. Like when people freaked out over Missy Elliott coming onto the field for uh, for halftime at the Super Bowl and all these yeah. kids were like, I don't know who this new Missy Elliott chick is. And I was like, you're, you're kidding, right? Please tell me oh, you're kidding. Oh, I know. Or like there was a time when, God, was it Kanye who did something where he like collaborated with Paul McCartney? And I swear people on Twitter are like, wow, Kanye's really giving this Paul McCartney guy a break. He's going to make his whole career. <laughs> right, like this old guy finally gets to hit it big time with Kanye. Yeah, exactly. Like finally Paul McCartney is going to be legitimized by Kanye. And I was like, you don't know who he is. Oh, God. <laughs> You're like, I want you to die. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a funny shift, like dealing with younger people. But on the flip side, it's nice to have them around, especially like in class, because they can like tell you, hey, we're not on that anymore. We Snapchat everything or whatever it is. Um, so you kind of can get that instant feedback. So it's good to have teens in your life. They tell you what's going on. How is that Snapchat writing? Like, how would you write Snapchat? I don't even know. And like, I do have this like sneaky, sneaky feeling that Snapchat is kind of right now, but it may not be around in like a year or two in the way that it is. Like, I think a lot of people are using it, but a lot of platforms are aping their technology and kind of stealing it. And there'll be something else that will pop up and be like the new thing. Um, you know, and I feel like they've gotten silly. A lot of the people are into their filters, you know, like where they can like look like a rabbit or something, but I'm like, how long is that like thing? You know, I mean, we'll see, you can always be wrong and maybe it will be something that stay, it has staying power, but, um, yeah, I don't even know how you would write it. I mean, the one thing I do think will stay is text messaging. Oh yeah. That's forever. Forever in some form. And like I text message over multiple platforms. Like I use Facebook Messenger. I use normal text messaging. I, you know, there's so many different ways to do it. But I think people are always going to send each other text messages in some platform. Um, and those are easy to write. And I actually have written those into books. And like those are kind of fun. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I, I see that as having like tons of longevity. That's like basically the, the short form version of email. And email has has stuck with us for 15 plus years dude email is so dead like even my teenagers tell me that they're like uh we only use it because like they're book blogger folks who i hang out with and they're like we only use it when we have to communicate with the publishers who are all antiquated and old but um we uh we don't email at all email is dead and so and i had to give a critique to a student who was using um email in their sci-fi very futuristic book and i was like email's dead i've been told on good authority especially if you go that far in the future so yeah i mean that's like kind of interesting i think text messaging has subsumed that and phone conversations to an extent right i don't i way prefer text messaging to getting on the phone yeah, the only reason that I get on the phone is because I drive, because I'm in L.A. and I have to be in the car for, like, god-awful hours every day. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is that and the hands-free. Um, but then there's stuff like Siri, and it, even my dad texts now, and he was, like, a technophobe, and he um, he has conversations with Siri, so he'll, like, talk to her to dictate his texts. But then she'll, like, dictate something wrong. So I'll get these messages where in the middle he's, like, arguing with Siri. 
<laughs> so it'll be like, hey, Siri, you got that wrong. And then he'll continue his text. And I'll be like, Siri wrote that wrong. And it's like all texted to me. <laughs> oh, Siri just popped on on my phone. She can hear me. <laughs> anyway, so it's like, um, you know, there's that technology. It's obviously not perfect. Oh, my God. I can't believe she just came on my phone. That's hilarious. She's always listening. She's never not listening. No, she's spying on me. Anyway, so yeah, like even my my freaking dad texts now, and so I never thought that would happen. What is what is that research got to be like um, when you're researching something that's a little bit dated? Like you're researching something from like the late '80s. Like what's out there in terms of telling you exactly what the tech was? Because we can sort of remember, but it's not very accurate. Yeah, I mean, when I'm researching with books, I mean, Wikipedia is kind of amazing because there's everything has an entry on Wikipedia. And I mean, I think if you're like me and you were alive, then there are things that you'll be able to remember certain aspects of. And you can always double check dates, you know, online or um, Wikipedia. Or I see a lot of authors crowdsourcing on Facebook. Like, my book is set in 1992. What was the slang used then? What was this? What was that? You know, and people do chime in and kind of respond. And I think you get a little bit of leeway with some of the nostalgia aspects, you know, when you're doing something 80s or I think 90s is going to be the next big kind of nostalgic thing that we're going to see a lot of. Um, Yeah, so I just think, you know, online research is definitely what everyone does now. I'm like, God, you just have to go to the library. So there's another technology thing. Oh, my God, the library. When was the last time I went to an actual brick and mortar library? When When was the last time I used brick and mortar as a statement? Yeah, exactly. Or like microfiche. I remember having to use that. Like, what? I mean, I worked in Widener Library at Harvard, reshelving books in the stacks when I was a student. And it was like, there were areas in that library. I was like, dude, nobody's been in here in like 20 years or so much lost. Um, but yeah, the only reason I'm, I'm going to confess this as an author, the only reason I've been in libraries is I do events at them. I was just at the Anaheim Library. But I actually am a big e-reader. I do buy some hard books, like obviously like stuff like Neil Gaiman, where I want it on my bookshelf. But for the most part, I read on my Kindle. I'm like a big Kindle reader and I don't look down on people who prefer that um so yeah I don't I don't actually go to libraries a lot myself don't tell anyone I need to get a library card (laughs) (laughs) I still don't have one out here in LA I'm such a terrible person but I had a friend I had a friend out who lived out in Brooklyn and had like this tiny railroad apartment is that what they're called out there it's like this tiny apartment but she she's like she's like super hip hipster chick and she had an entire wall that she dedicated to all these books that she'd that she'd read and she was like, I have to get rid of these. Like, they're just taking up too much space. Literally cleared out, like, acres of square footage because she got all those books on her e-reader and, and like, donated those books to, like, Oh, that's what I did. Bookstore. I first got the original Kindle, which was really expensive because I, like, had a meltdown trying to put more books away in my closet. And they were, like, falling on my head. And I have so many books. And I even moved recently and got rid of so many more books because, yeah, it's actually a, a, a real battle, <laughs> you like know? space saver is like, hey, get a Kindle and, and save yourself feet and feet in your tiny studio apartment, which is the excuse that I use. I've got like a bookshelf. Well, I used to travel with like suitcases full of books and it'd be like a lead weight because I was always had this paranoid fear of running out of something and not having something to read. And so the Kindle like freed up my travel like so much because I can just bring my little Kindle and it has like hundreds of books. So yeah, I mean, that's part of why I love it. Um, but I, I will say that in, in being a young adult author, I was surprised that most of the kids that I deal with, um, they want hard books. They, they don't read electronically. They want the real thing. Really? That surprised me. Yeah. That surprised me technologically speaking, coming into being an author. Cause I just had this idea, oh, well, you know, they're on their smartphones and, you know, smartphone reading is up and like, there's no way they're going to want real books anymore, but it's completely the opposite. 
I think it's kind of like I got a record player and I love getting vinyl right now. And I think it's the same idea, right? There's something about having something physical. Yeah, like it's, it's not even so much retro as it is just like it's really tactile. Yeah, it's tactile and they kind of like are into that for the most part, or at least the kids that I see reading my books or that I interact with. So, um, but it's possible those are just like the hyper nerds, and like the big readers. <laughs> it also could be that they're on their phones and TVs and everything so much that they want when they're reading, they want to like not be on their phone anymore. Yeah, that's why a lot of book bloggers I know say they exactly what you just said is like anything they can do to minimize their screen time is really good for them. So yeah, 100%. That could be part of it. Maybe I'm just weird. I love my Kindle. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, can you hear me? <laughs> my husband is trying to convince me to get one because I'm like you. I bring like eight books on vacation and yep. like my suitcase is incredibly heavy and my carry-on is incredibly heavy. And he's like, just, I will buy you a Kindle already. <laughs> They're so cheap now. Yeah. My, my real epiphany came when this was a many years ago, I went to uh, the North shore of Hawaii for a, of Oahu for a wedding and the North shore is really, really undeveloped. And we were like in an Airbnb or something like on the beach in Haleiwa, which is, you know, pretty, there's nothing there. I mean, there's a couple stores and stuff. And I was reading for the first time, um, Angela's ashes. I don't know if you guys have read that book, Frank McCourt. It's pretty much the greatest memoir I've ever read. It's flipping amazing. And, um, I got so caught up in it and I was like on this like deserted beach reading it and I got to the end and I was like, oh, I have to know what happened to him next. Cause it kind of ends with him immigrating to the United States. He grows up poor in Ireland and I was like, I have to know. And I knew there were more books and right there on the beach in Hawaii, I could like download the second book that he, the second, his second memoir and pick up. And I just remember being like, oh, this is the greatest. Cause it would have been a long time before I could get the next one. Cause who knows where the closest bookstore was, who knew if they would carry this book. Um, so that kind of really convinced me with travel. I feel like that's like the most dangerous thing that you've ever said, because I would be so poor if at any time I had a fancy to read a book, which is all the time. I'm always like, Ooh, a new author wrote a book. Oh, Ooh, I, read it. And I'm like, um, so I try to do this thing where I just download the sample when I have that urge because then you can, and that's the nice thing. Cause then you're like, Oh, and then you have all the samples and then you read it. And if you really get into it or you think you're going to finish the book, then you buy the book because yeah, otherwise I always joke. I was such a big reader as a kid that if there had been Kindles, I would have bankrupted my parents. <laughs> I probably kind of did anyway, but you know, the store only carried so many titles like Nancy Drew books and whatnot. And I would read through everything in the library and the bookstore and that was it. You know, if I had a Kindle, it would have just been bye, bye, bye. Yeah, I probably never would have come out of my room. My parents would have been like, you hermit, go be friendly. <laughs> yeah, make friends, play in the dirt. Ah. My parents, like back in the day, my parents would absolutely pull books out of my hands because I was like, I was in school. I was trying to get good grades. I was also a jock, so I was doing sports. I was also like, you know, just trying to hang out with my friends every once in a while. But I would, I would put everything else on the back burner to read like a really good book. And it'd be like, three, four o'clock in the morning and my mom would come into my room and I'd be sacked out with like drool all over this book that I couldn't put down. And she was like, no, we're not doing this until the weekend. And it would be the most torture. That was me. That was totally me. And I could read like a book a day. Yeah. We would go on like vacations and my parents would be like, we'd be like on a tour and they'd be like, look at the beautiful view. And my nose would just be in a book. I'd be like, I don't care about your view. I got to find out what's going to happen in this book. So yeah. I, 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 yeah. But my, my parents now claim that's why I'm a writer. They claim that, you know. <laughs> how do you feel like in sort of in screenplays and in novels, how do you feel like futuristic technology is going to start showing up? Because a lot of people are thinking like, oh, one day we'll just have like a chip in our brain. 
Yeah, there's like so many different ways to go in it. I mean, this is actually an area of great interest to me. I'm especially interested in my work in the intersection where technology becomes so advanced that it's almost like magic, but it's still technology. Like it's still science fiction, right? But it's so advanced and it's so amazing. And I feel like we're on the cusp of that with rapidly advancing consumer technology now. Like just the fact, I don't want to say your name, but that Siri can just hear me across the room and like wake up and talk to me. It's like, whoa, um, it's creepy. But um, yeah, so like I'm really interested in kind of rooting things in technology and then seeing if you take it like so much further, it's almost like magic. I mean, Star Wars is a good example of a blend of sci-fi and fantasy, right? But, but lightsabers, right? Like those are technology, right? And then they have some explanation for how they function. But those are also fairly fantasy-like. Um, in my books, I have these morphing weapons called falchions that they can, um, the characters can kind of shift into any shape they want. And they're made from a blend of um, nanotechnology and biological interfaces. So they actually are um, sci-fi and technology, but then they also seem a little bit like magic. Um, so I'm interested in that. Um, another thing I like exploring in my book is um, there's something called the beacons. So the humans are evacuated into different colonies after the surface of the earth is destroyed. And each colony is given a beacon, which is supposed to kind of preserve their history and then bring them back to the surface at the right time. And so the beacons are something that actually, like, they kind of bond to your skin. They're similar to the falchions, but they, every user who kind of bonds with them, um, they download and kind of preserve their essence, right? Like their memories, their personality, and all of that. And then every carrier, whoever wears them, is kind of preserved in this device. And every new carrier gets to relive those memories. So, I mean, that was something I like to explore because I think, you know, what is a person, right? I've been watching Westworld a lot, which is kind of anime. But like, what makes consciousness, right? Is it memory? Is it is it personality? Is it, you know, experiences? Like, what is it exactly? And is that really a person that we preserved? I don't know. Yeah, you know? like, what, what actually encompasses, like, humanity and the soul? I, did you ever read, yeah. when, I was, when I was younger, I used to read this comic book called Transmetropolitan? No, I don't think I've heard that, no. Oh my god, it's awesome. And it was, it was my first introduction to, like, downloading your consciousness to, like, a cloud. And it was, I I forget when it was published, but it was years and years and years ago. It was before any of this stuff existed. And that reminds me that, like, half of the things that we have right now were actually invented by, like, Gene Roddenberry and the writers of Star Trek. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, everything that you're writing, like, is probably going to happen because some scientist is going to be like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I figured that well, out. Well, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things. It's like when I was researching, could you put a colony in the bottom of the ocean? Well, yeah, you actually probably could at some point. And you actually probably could, you know, make oxygen. Well, you can now make oxygen from water. But, like, you know, it's an inefficient process. But could there be a way to make it more efficient? Sure, if, you know, you put resources toward it. Like, could we have a colony on the moon? Could we have a colony on Mars? Sure, you probably could at some future point, right? Yeah, we just it's have to, like, figure hard. it out. Yeah, you just have to kind of follow, like, where the technology goes. And so, you know, yeah, and a lot of science fiction is very predictive. Obviously, a lot of it, we get got it pretty wrong, too. So, you know, but, yeah, I mean, I think it was Ray Bradbury who wrote about reality television long before where people would just sit in their houses and watch other people's lives, right. <laughs> like, on screens. Like, I was like, wow, that's reality TV, <laughs> right? You know, so there, there, are, there are a lot of instances of, um, I think, the Internet, that was definitely predicted by some science fiction writers. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, I think in the future, you know, I just think, I, I always follow, like, greater networking, greater, um, 
you know, ways that we can communicate. I think communication is so at the core of human nature. Um, and that seems to be what a lot of our technology is enabling. And I think maybe we're going to see more kind of hybrid sort of virtual reality. Um, even things like I'm addicted to Pokemon Go, like addicted. <laughs> it's so fun. But stuff like that, where it's like, it's a game, but you play it in the real world. You know, it's interactive. I'll be really interested to see. But yeah, so when we're dealing with like future stuff, a lot of it is asking like what if questions and looking at like where something would lead if you take it further. But also sometimes, I mean, one of my colonies slides back into a dark age. So there's also the reverse of that, which is that what if we lost technology? How hard would it be to recreate? I mean, the truth is really hard, right? Oh, yeah. Isn't isn't like losing access to the Internet one of like the seven things that'll cause a, like a world, a global catastrophe? <laughs> Oh, it absolutely would. Like in the loss of information. I mean, in my underwater colony, the 13th continuum, um, they have a machine that makes their oxygen. It's called the Animus machine. And um, it's also like very advanced technology and it, it's why their colony can survive. Anyways, in the story of the book, um, the main character, Myra, finds out that it's breaking down and her father, the head engineer, can't fix it. Um, the technology was lost. They don't know how to do it anymore. And um, eventually she learns they can't even make a new one. So basically they're all going to suffocate. Okay. Um, Unless they, because, you know, the world's been destroyed. So even if you knew how to do it, there isn't the infrastructure to replicate it. Like, think about a pen. Like, a pen seems so simple, but think if everything was destroyed. How long would it take you to make a pen? Oh, my God. Right? Simple. Yeah, my books were heavily influenced by, have you guys heard of the Isaac Asimov Foundation series? Yes. Love that. Okay. Okay, totally. I'm totally obsessed. And like, so the concept of that is essentially, it's a Dark Ages allegory. It's based on the fall of the Roman Empire. He just set it in space. But essentially, you know, there's this predictive psychoscience where they figure out um, that uh, they're going to fall into a Dark Age and the Dark Age will be X amount of time. But if they can preserve technology and a foundation, they can shorten the Dark Age significantly. And that's essentially what the book is about. Um, in different contexts. So yeah, it's like this idea that yeah, if you lost the internet, or if you lost even things like computers and iPhones, yeah, it would be a long time before you could get back. So that's the other thing about sci-fi. Like people always think it's futuristic or we're more advanced, but sometimes it's way less advanced, you know? Yeah. And I, def I definitely think that the, um, it's interesting because most science fiction at its core is really like a relationship drama in some sense. It's either about fathers teaching their sons how to do something or mothers and the daughters or someone looking for love or crossing galaxies or whatever. But most of it is, is just about relationships. The technology sort of supports the narrative of how people communicate. I think it's true of everything. I mean, I think everything is grounded in character and in the character relationships. Yeah, I mean, that's like what James Cameron always says. He wraps usually sci-fi around like a love story or in the case of like aliens, he added Newt, so it's more of like a mother-daughter story. Yeah, and it, it makes it relatable and makes us care, right? But, I mean, you can talk about Star Wars. I mean, people do forget Star Wars is a long time ago. It's not in the future, but a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that those are classic archetypes intentionally in Star Wars, right? And it kind of is this melodramatic, almost like a Greek tragedy involving the Skywalker family, right? You know, if you think about it, and there's, like, some semi-incest, there's, like, the father who's gone pretty bad, like, you know, it, it is kind of like a Greek tragedy. I mean, the technology is serving the story, or at least it should, right? I mean, like, in my story, the beacons are there more to service the story than to just be like, oh, cool technology. I mean, if it was just, like, cool technology, like, you probably at a certain point would lose interest. But when the technology becomes a character, um, 
Yeah, and I also, like, I mean, in my books, I write a super, supercomputer character. His name is Noah, which stands for the National Oper- Operation to Archive Humanity. And Noah is a character in the book. And he is always trying to seem more human. It's a little bit like Data in Star Trek. Do you um, do you ever feel like you have to, like, sort of select whatever the one type of communication is really going to be aside from face-to-face so that there's not, like, you're not boggled down and, like, oh, there's 100,000 ways people could communicate this time. Yeah, and I think people get, yes, and that's kind of getting into the rules of your world when you're doing world building because I teach world building too. And it's really important if it's fantasy or sci-fi in particular that you have um, really clear rules. I mean, how many times have you seen a movie where they, like, break their own rules and you're, like, yelling at the screen, like, you told me that couldn't happen and now it's happening. Like, what? Um, You know, unless it's motivated, like in The Matrix, where he can suddenly change the rules in The Matrix and stop bullets. Um, So, yeah, it's, like, really important. Um, And I think you don't want too much or it becomes convoluted i mean in my books the beacons um connect the carriers and they can communicate psychically um but there are rules to that and whether or not they can really control it and it kind of starts as dreams and then it ends up being um this thing where they can kind of communicate but like i had to work really hard to make sure i made that really clear how it functioned because when you have anyone being able to do anything psychically, it's like, can they hear every thought? Like, what's happening? Um, you know, um, but there's still things like, you know, like announcements can still go out and stuff like that. But yeah, that's kind of the main one in my book. I think if you add too many different layers, like you were saying, like it can get really convoluted. Um, and I, I have had seen that in manuscripts where I've like made that note where I'm like, you need to kind of simplify this because, you know, you're going to confuse people. I wonder I wonder about that kind of in screenwriting for like something that isn't sci-fi but set in today's modern technology society. Like you said, you know, you message across, you know, Facebook Messenger, Messenger on your phone, G-chatting, whatever. You know, you're constantly like chatting with people, but how to sort of select and communicate that to a viewer graphically as well as sort of in the actual script yeah i mean you've seen that handled different ways i mean house of cards at the time was fairly innovative because they put the tech the text messages right on the screen for you to read which was kind of rad um yeah i mean i I think at the core though it, it really is about you know the characters and the relationships so i mean there is an extent to which you you kind of can just kind of take it out a little bit and have people actually talk and communicate um, I think the real challenge comes in when you're dealing with more kind of um, thriller components, horror movie components, um, action components, where you need characters to be isolated and in danger. And, you know, cell phones, like, they they take away a lot of danger. Like, pretty much every horror film pre-cell phone could probably have been fixed if they had a cell phone. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like the same thing, the same thing goes for, like, rom-coms and stuff, where it's like, you can clear that up right away. <laughs> Exactly, like that, that, exactly, that confusion, you could, 100%, like I think I was saying, like Goonies would never happen with cell phones, right? Because they would, you can't get lost, but so you'll see, and it it does get addressed, I just saw, it's fantastic, I just saw Get Out over the weekend, Jordan Peele's, um, I guess it's a hybrid comedy horror, it really is a horror film though, but um, yeah, and in the film they address it, there is a thing where like, he's starting to get paranoid, and he, his cell phone keeps getting unplugged, and he's trying to charge it. So then he starts to think someone is doing it on purpose. So that's one way they dealt with it. And then they do have um, scenes where there's no service, right? The classic, no service, you're off the grid, (laughs) right? So, you know, and if you see, I think any kind of horror films these days, like that's almost always one of the things that happens 
right off the bat. No service. You're always in that 1% of the map that they promise you. You know, 99% is covered and every horror movie is in the 1%. Yeah, it is. Or like, I mean, I've been watching Westworld, which is, I mean, I, I'm still, it's first season. And I don't really know a lot about the outside world, but um, they, I think they do a really nice job in Westworld with incorporating technology fairly seamlessly. But um, they have ways that they handle it because people who go to Westworld, which is like, you know, this Western themed amusement park, you know, they're they're leaving technology behind on purpose. Like they're going to get away. So it makes sense that they don't have it. And then the people who run the park do have technology. And I think they do a really nice job with how they show the different, um, like, kind of tablets that they use and, like, the different interfaces. And uh, it's pretty seamless in the show. So I've actually really enjoyed that aspect of it. That's awesome. Bridget and I were just recently talking about La La Land. And we were, like, our biggest beef with it. Well, one of our biggest beefs. Like, five years had gone by and neither one of them knew anything about the other's lives or like or, or at least she didn't she didn't know what was going on in his life and we were like you know we know you have cell phones but like Facebook doesn't exist like you you have no idea what this guy's been up to there's no Instagram like you weren't looking back at your at your the love of your life or the guy that you'd always be in no, love with and you're like completely unbelievable <laughs> no uh, yeah I haven't seen the film because just candidly I know I will hate it <laughs> like <laughs> I wasn't a huge Whiplash fan. I liked it fine. But, like, I don't like nostalgic Hollywood stuff. I'm, I don't like musicals usually unless it's, like, Disney or Sound of Music. So, you know, um, yeah, with La La Land, I'm like, oh. But, yeah, I agree with you. That's unrealistic, especially if it's modern day. So, you know, I think if you're setting something, like, and nobody's addressing that and no one's giving you that note, then they're doing you a disservice as a writer. Yeah, because it, it really snapped me out of it. In the theater, I was, like, shocked. I was like, what? That is stupid and it was crazy because it was set in a modern day LA and there's just no way I mean yeah there was it really shocked me out because the world that they had built I mean they don't spend a lot of time on technology really like it's very nostalgic they don't they do talk on cell phones a little bit but they don't text very much they don't you know spend a ton of time on that it's more face to face and they meet in real life but at the same time because they established that cell phones do exist and that it is modern day, they totally went against what the world and the rule that they built for me. Yeah. Like specifically the world rules. Like if if we're going to be in modern day times and you're going to have those specific pieces of technology, then we as the audience make the assumption that everything else exists as well. Yeah. And you have to like deal with it because the first thing you would do is Google someone. So unless you're like addressing it, you know, then it's going to ring really wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about Google when I was mad during the movie. But yeah, I would Google them 100%. Immediately. Like, almost every day. Like, I gave up this person that I was in love with. What are they up to right now? Google? Tell me absolutely everything about their lives. And then five years down the road, I would be well-versed as to what was going on with them. Even if I had a husband and a child. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, you, you would know for sure. So, yeah, I think it, you know, even if you are going for a nostalgic thing, I just think it ne- the question needs to be answered because anything that pulls you out is a problem. So, like, as an example, like, get out, like, they do address it, right? Because if they hadn't, you would just be yelling at the screen, get your cell phone, call your friend, call the cops, text somebody, like, you would just yell. Um, there's also, do you guys see that movie, It Follows? Like, I'm obsessed with yes. that movie. Yeah, we right. saw it. Yeah, so they kind of do a thing where, I don't know, it's very unclear what the time period is, right, on purpose, but it definitely has a throwback feel, like a Carpenter, John Carpenter kind of feel, but they, remember they have those weird clamshells they're, like, kind of texting on? Yeah. Yeah, and they just kind of introduce, like, hey, here's this alternate technology they use, and you're just like, okay, that's what they use, all right. 
Yeah, and I feel like you're already you're already in a place where you're suspending disbelief because you're being stalked by an STD. So totally. Like, you're like, I don't totally. need to believe everything. Yeah, the STD is coming very slowly for you. <laughs> we actually, Jen, we actually made a short film called It Follows Too Slowly because when I was <laughs> when I was watching that movie, I'm normally like the person you want to watch your horror movie because I 100% buy in. I get the chills. I scream out loud. I cry sometimes. Like, I will be horrified. I'll have nightmares. Because I like, if you build me a good world, I will jump feet first into it and I will like be in there with you. Um, and I was watching it and about 10 minutes into the movie when it was just walking, I was just like, that's it? That's not scary. Get in a car. Go on a plane. Go to Europe. What is, what? this is not at all scary. <laughs> You're like it's coming too slowly. It's that's slowly. what our that's what our parody is about entirely. And there's like the best scene that we ever I'm shot serious. was when we're just being chased around the car. And by chased around the car, I mean slowly walking and texting around a car while our STD uh, paranormal activity <laughs> type person is behind us. I think it would have been funny if you gave the guy like a syphilis T-shirt. <laughs> oh damn it! Following you that. slowly. That could have been a good opportunity. Yeah. Next time. Yeah. Next, next one, you'll do a sequel. It follows too slowly too. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the one thing, like you know, what happens actually in modern day times is that somebody will reach out to you via one way and make plans, and then you try to cancel via another way, and they don't get it, and there's like. Yep. It happens to me every week. Every week, I'm like, wait, what am I supposed to do? How, like, I have to check all these different forms of social media yeah, to be like, where am I going? You have to check your messages, your Facebook messages, your Twitter messages, If I your don't email. immediately put it into my Google calendar, it's fucking lost. It's so I, gone. And people are like, hey, are we still on for tomorrow? And I'm like, excuse me, what? Yeah, you're like, wait, wait, what? When did I agree to that? Where did you message me that? Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, or like even I'll like, I'll need to mail out book plates or something, but like, where did they message me the address? Was it my email? Was it my Facebook messenger? Um, yeah. yeah is it an evite? Is it a, some e-cars? Is it like, there's so many different ways for it to get lost now. <laughs> no, I know. And I feel like I like, there's certain friends that I hyper text with, like I just have these like long running text conversations all the time. And then sometimes I'll be like, are we messaging on like three different platforms at the same time to each other? Like, you know, and then I'll get like a Facebook like and a comment from them too. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is too much. Cause I'm, I don't know. I feel like people who write or who, um, do kind of entertainment stuff like we're kind of hyper communicators anyway right like we kind of enjoy that so messaging is nice because it's something where like you can kind of shut it off if you need to but then also it feels like you're still having some kind of social contact with people right yeah, yeah it's, you're not just by yourself in your house again for like the 80th day in a row <laughs> Yeah, that, but then it's, like, hard. Like, not it. everyone knows text message protocol. Like, not texting back for, like, three days. It's, like, are they dead? Like, I'm <laughs> I'll be, like, are you alive? Are you are you depressed? Like, what's happening? You didn't message me back for three days. And they'll be, like, oh, I didn't think it was a big deal. I'll be, like, I thought you were dead. <laughs> I thought you were literally dead. I checked all of your social media feeds and you were ghosted yourself. Yeah, there was no reason not to text me back. Like, what? So, yeah, there's there's that, too. There's That's the next com- comedy best friend drama is... A story of two girls, one who goes over to the other house because she thinks she's dead. It's been three days. It's dun, been dun, three dun. days. Like, her body must be, like, like in the apartment, like, undiscovered. Yeah. yeah. Her cats have eaten her. Her dog is fully fed because yes, they're exactly. eating her body. You know, one movie, one movie that I thought did it really, really well was her. I thought it was, like, one of the most seamless in and out of technology, the way that AI is developing the future, him watching, like, projecting the movie on his, like, everything in 3D. Like, it's so cool. 
it was really cool and then just the the relationship between them where you know she really became a real character um and i like that's one of the things i also like about westworld like the um androids i guess they're are they androids? the hosts yeah the hosts they're they're like real character i mean that's kind of the point right but like yeah in the way that like but are they real you know it's like all those questions about you know i mean if it's up to me like i would love to be a robot i'm like please upload me i just want to be a robot i'll be a host maybe a host <laughs> You think it would be great. Right? I, like, never have to worry about, like, getting sick. Not, yeah, I don't have eating. to worry about aging. Yeah. It'd be fantastic. Oh, I hate being sick so much. That's, like, the big thing. I'm like, it would be so great. You don't get sick. This is so cool. And they just repair you. Yeah, like, my whole thing, like, if like, if somebody to walk up were to walk up to me and be like, hey, do you want to become a robot? Like, before they finish robot, I would be like, yes. Yes, I do. Can I taste yeah. food? Yes. Then yes, I do. Because I want to eat all the foods. I want to never have to worry about getting sick. I want to feel all the feelings and then never age and never die. So Precisely. Yes. And I'm like, if I have to work in a whorehouse in a Western park, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, that <laughs> seems fun. I get murdered 10 times a day every day. Yeah, every I day. just get murdered all the time. <laughs> very, very true. Well, hey, Jen, we could literally talk to you forever, but we're all out of time for today. So we would love to have you come back. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You guys are awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Of course. You guys can find her series, The 13th Continuum, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Oh, hey. If you want to see It Follows Too Slowly, go to youtube.com backslash brilliantmedia.